Good day, listeners. Welcome to today's episode and season two premiere of Say Word. Say Word is a podcast we started. The goal is to inform, offer diverse perspectives, and add a touch of humor, where appropriate, to events happening in Toronto and in our world that our viewers can connect with. We started this podcast to give thoughtful and purposeful perspectives. Toronto is home to us all, hence the name, and we want to leave you with content that is a good use of your time. I'm your host, Hirsch, aka Yes. I am going to complain every single winter. Filling in for our esteemed host, Amit, who sends his regards, and we'll be back for our next episode. Helping me make today's episode a success are five brothers. Introducing our starting lineup, we got Nas, aka Mr. Young and Eligible, Khalaf, aka International Cali, and our OGs, Larone, aka Allow Me to Reintroduce Myself, Hassan, aka Shazam, and Batter, aka Mr. Unmutes to Laugh in Zoom meetings so people know I'm still there. That's a good one. So a warm welcome to Naz and Khalaf. We're happy to have you here. Thank you all for joining us today. Excited sure. to kick off season two. I uh, wanted to start by asking, did anyone catch the Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. exhibition fight from last night? And did you see Nate Robinson tweet he was going to shock the world before getting slumped by a YouTuber? Absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't stay up to watch the, the Tyson fight because obviously I'm in a different time zone a little bit. But... Yeah. I, I, I caught the, I caught the, I was looking for, it's hard to look for a stream, but once I found one, man, like, I just felt bad for him. Cause obviously, I think we talked about this earlier, like, he went down once, in the, like, he got hit in the back of the head. And they were saying that's like a very sensitive area in the body, like, whatever. I think it's like a lot of nerve damage. I'm like, yo, bro, just, just stay down. He got knocked out. There's a sizable height and weight difference. You need to just sit this one out, but I guess it's probably got the best of him. Yeah, yo, I, I thought, I knew about the Tyson fight, but I was like, dad life, but like, was up to other things right i wake up this morning and i have messages in my in my inbox like i just see hey robinson slumped i'm like what the hell happened to this so i watched it this morning and i'm like at first i didn't know he's fighting jake paul i would have said immediately jake paul's like six five six four something like that i think he's six three and a half there six anything that's a bad fight for Nate Robinson. They looked eye to eye for a second, so I wasn't sure about his height. I was like, hmm, I don't know. Maybe he's boosting. It's his NBA height. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> that's his NBA height. The craziest thing for me wasn't even that he was fighting in his first boxing match. It was his disclosed purse, like what he was actually getting paid for the fight. You guys want to take a wild guess what the man got paid to get slumped? $600. Him and him. <laughs> <get both. laughs> no, clout, right? like they're, no uh, way. Swear to God. That was a disclosed purse. Not, not a purse. Oh, that's not even a purse, bro. That's a fanny pack. Like. It's a dime oh, bag. That's, that's terrible. <laughs> so for me, I was, um, I didn't plan on watching the fights, but homie of mine messaged me because we, we always watch fights and he was like, yo, is Nate Robinson fighting? Like, I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's, he's fighting some YouTube guy. Then I get the next message I get is, yo, they just slept Nate Robinson. I was like, oh, shit. Okay. So I go online and everyone's talking about it. So I was like, all right, let me watch. Seeing that man get slumped. I saw a tweet. Someone said, um, I feel like someone just called me the N-word with the hard ER after Nate Robinson got slumped. <laughs> <I> like, literally, <laughs> literally, that's what it felt like, man. It was so <laughs> embarrassing. Oh, bro. <laughs> that was embarrassing. What did you think was going to happen? You're wearing the next gear. Like. Facts. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was funny because I wasn't even like paying attention to the, to the match or anything. I heard it was happening, but it just seemed like a joke to me. And then... Next thing I know, my little brother is just dying. He's just dying. I'm like, what happened? He just just shows me all the clips. He's like, yo, this shit is real. Robinson just got knocked out. So we want to kick off our fun topics. That was part of our fun topics, it seemed like. But as you all know, 
Toronto entered its second lockdown of the pandemic on November 23rd as cases surged in the city. Uh, on the outset, things are going a bit better since our last lockdown. We're not seeing as much of a chaotic run on supermarkets and pharmacies. That being said, we can forgive small business owners for not sharing in this optimism as they're shut down unless deemed essential during one of the busiest shopping seasons of the year. And we do feel for these businesses that are key to the vibrancy of our local communities and sometimes going up against the big box brands. Um, and trying to show solidarity, we have politicians coming out sometimes saying we don't want to see any businesses shut down, whether they be small or large. And I'm not sure we're all there. Uh, I'm sure that based on customer experience, there are one or two businesses we actually wouldn't mind seeing going under as bad as that sounds. And uh, that's the first question that I had for you guys. And I wanted to start with Khalif is what are those businesses that you wouldn't really shed a tear for if you heard that they did get shut down due to COVID? All right. All right. I think I had a list here. So give me a second. Let me pull it up. I had to actually think hard about this one. But yeah, places I wouldn't mind going under, I'm going to say uh, Cactus Club or like Warehouse, you know, those some of those are like quick and easy places to eat, mainly because those are places I don't have any sympathy for them because I feel like they capitalize off of black culture. They're always playing black music, but they're unbecoming and unkind towards their black patrons or they try to give them a hard time. They apply double standard to black people and they go and play black music because they want to be quote unquote hip. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. I remember Marcus Stroman, I believe, having an issue with Cactus Club. Yeah, and not being able to get in. And then this is, this is a theme that's happened to a few establishments in Toronto. Does anybody yeah. else have? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yo, I, well, first I have to say, yo, yeah, my man came out full clip. Full, full clip. clip. <laughs> full clip. I'm seeing the whole clip, man. You know what it is, man. Damn, you know what it right is. off the top. I rate you for that because I agree. The thing about profiting off of black culture definitely is problematic, right? And now we get to see who's in what community, who's actually in tune with what's going on in Toronto, right? The other side of it, too, is big box retailers, right? Like, think about why we are shutting down, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic, right? Um, <clears throat> and yet you see some big box big box retailers still open, right? Um, and these are places that you won't, sh I won't shed a tear. These are the types of stores that, you know, they got people who <laughs> follow you around when you go in the gap and shit, right? Um, so, you know, those are the types of things that, you know, it's so ironic that the places that are, you're going to see more spread of the virus. These are also the same places that disenfranchise black people, right? You, know, you work there, you get fired from there easily. You know? I also disagree with something that Hirsch said, um, about the people aren't buying stuff on mass. Yo, I can't find baby shit anywhere, man. There's no diapers, there ain't no baby snacks, you know, man just want some applesauce, you know? But, yo, people be buying that stuff because they know people need it, right? Um, it's not as bad as last time. I agree with you on that. But but in general, like, there's uh, there's definitely, you get to see who are the people that have been profiting off of black people and who are the people that have been helping and continue to help, right? European high-end brands. So, like, the Gucci's and the every other European mm -hmm. brand you could think of, I don't mind seeing those tanked. Like, they're yeah. not for us anyway, so yeah. they can go away. I don't, I, don't, I don't really care about it. I can't afford it anyway, so... <laughs> they can go where they can kick rocks. That's a fact. Most organizations, I'm 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 fine if they exist, if, except maybe, except maybe like Sleep Country, because I I don't think anything goes on there in the first place. They they scare me with how empty those those locations are and how many are operational in the city. So yeah, something else is going on over there. 
I, uh, mm. I actually bought my bed from Sleep Country Canada. I think uh, <laughs> Sleep Country Canada is one of those things where you spend the time, you, you do your research beforehand, you come in, you buy what you need, and you get out. So I think the the uh, volumes they're pushing, it's it's not reflective of the amount of people they have in the store. Uh, I will say their customer <laughs> service is lit. Oh, that's, that's a good point because I think like, yeah, those places are, they, you know, they remind me of those places where like, you don't have to sell a mattress every day and you, like, they're not highly dependent on like everyday service. It's like a service that people come and they buy yeah. something and it's like one, you can sell two mattresses a day and like for, yeah. you know, a week it'll be fine. So they're, they're more open to like having a great experience because they probably have so few, you know what I mean? Whereas like Rogers, like half the country uses Rogers. So you, they don't care if they really lose a customer. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Nope. Yeah, they don't nope. care at all. Uh, but for uh, personal reasons, I need Rogers to stay open because they're the only company that, that provides internet in my neighborhood. So when yeah. Dallas gets a little sick, oh, no. <laughs> but you see, yeah. you see the trap? You see it? Ah, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's why yeah. I hate it so much. See, I, I've been back and forth with Rogers and Bell. They're all the same, man. Trust yeah. me. Like, I, I've like, been snaked by both of them. So, colorful no. I mean, like, he, he gave me, he oh, was yeah. the one who warned me. Like, it doesn't matter who you in, bro just keep just keep going for the best deal you know that's it um trust me because i've been in the trenches I've, I've worked a couple weird jobs in my life and i think one of the one of the weirdest ones was i was like a bell technician for like three months and it's like i felt like i was like an intern for avon barksdale like they just gave me the game you know what i mean <laughs> they, gave, they gave you the whole thing i knew what was happening and then like once i left i never looked at the phone industry the same because like it's really like canada's traditionally like a monopoly system right so like unless like Rogers is a new competitor in the sense that Bell just got lazy and was like, we don't want to do anything cable. So Rogers is like, we'll do it. So everything mm-hmm. else that you can think of tech savvy, all these small companies, Primus, they're all under Bell. If they're not by, if they're not owned by right. Bell, they, right. they lease equipment from Bell or they lease lines from Bell. It's like, they just give it, they're paying Bell anyway. So it's like, what are you really, you know what I mean? Getting at the end of the day. Sad, but true. I wanted to move on to our second topic. It revolves around the NBA restart. I don't know about you guys, but I felt like the season just ended last week. So it's crazy to me that we're only a few weeks away from the start of training camp. The Raptors will begin their training camp December 1st and will call Amelie Arena in Tampa their home for the 2020 season. Due to logistical issues caused by COVID, the team will look a bit different this year with the loss of Serge and Marcus Gasol to free agency. They did re-sign Boucher and Steady Freddie. And they brought in Aaron Baines, who has his own cult following. And they drafted Malaki Flynn, 29th overall. So this is all part of a busy but not terribly exciting offseason in comparison to offseasons of the past. But before we turn to our resident Raptor expert, Batter, I wanted to ask our Lakers fans on the call, Lerone and Nas, how you felt about the Lakers championship run because I don't think we've recorded since they were crowned the champions. So, Nas, let me start with you. How do you feel about the Lakers championship? Are you still in awe of LeBron James? And do you think he's going to be slowing down anytime soon? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are going to say that there's an asterisk to this championship run by the Lakers. I don't really buy that thinking. I think, you know, it was was 11 playing fields for everybody. Given the circumstances, we're all kind of dealing with COVID. But, I mean, I think he, he just prepared the best out of all the other teams. Like he had Anthony Davis. He had a solid lineup. We just picked up some pieces with Montrez. So I think, yeah, the Lakers are definitely going to run that back. LeBron's run is historical. What is he, like almost a 1,000 games of double-digit scoring? I think the second closest is like Hakeem with like 700 or something. So people kind of gloss over his greatness because he's been doing it for so long. It's it's mind-boggling. But 
Yeah, man, I think, you know, with the pieces that they just picked up over the offseason, and they're literally going to go back, I think, 72 days after winning the championship. I think December 22nd is when the new season starts. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward yeah. to more basketball during during the pandemic, man. It's been yeah. a pretty a couple of weeks since well, there's no NBA, so. That's true. What about you, Laron? How do you feel about the Lakers championship run? Yeah, no, I agree with Nas. I, I like the pickups they made. Just to start with that, I like the pickups they made in the offseason. Bron was phenomenal. I also want to show some love to Anthony Davis and Rondo and, and KCP, too. Got a lot of crap throughout the season, and he really showed up in the playoffs. And Rondo and, and Anthony Davis, is, it was a, a team effort. I was conflicted for a bit because, as most of you know, I'm not the biggest LeBron fan, but he put me in a tough spot because you go to my team and you win a championship that I have to, you know, I have to ride for you, right? So, yeah, I think it was a beautiful thing given the fact that Kobe passed this year. I, I think it was real symbolic. It was it was nice to see the city of uh, Los Angeles, but also all Laker fans get some type of like consolation. Not that you know anything's gonna make up for for losing Kobe, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was it was a beautiful thing to see. Hold on, get- so so what makes you not a, a LeBron fan? <laughs> I want to hear you, that. You know you, you know how it goes, man. You know how it goes. You're you're either on the Kobe side. Here we go. You know, how it goes. you know all the arguments. You know all the skip the <laughs> talking points. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is, man. <laughs> yeah. He's, 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 he's gold level, though. He's gold level. I'm not I'm not a hater for him to be playing this well in year 17. is phenomenal. Um, So, Kobe yeah. did something similar. So, I don't like when people say he's the only one who did it in year 17. Because Kobe was scoring 27.5 points per game in year 17 before his Achilles snapped. But that's taken nothing away from Bron. Kobe was doing a lot, but to lead a team to a championship, playing the defense that he played after people criticized him for not playing defense, averaging mm-hmm. 10 assists, he's, he's, he's gold love. It reminds me of the time LeBron, LeBron joined Miami, and that come, uh, come to terms moment. It's hard to deny his greatness. I'll, I'll give him that. I appreciate it. We were supposed to go to a Lakers game, right, Hirsch, in Toronto? Yeah, yeah. Before the yeah. pandemic happened, we were supposed to catch the Lakers game, so that was a bit oh, of I think the Lakers games after Kobe passed would all be like tributes to Kobe. So mm-hmm. I think we missed out on that. But that that's the last season. Looking forward to this season. I'm going to ask our super fan batter. What do you think about the Raptors offseason moves? And what can we expect from them this season? I think losing Ibaka and Gasol is a big blow. I think but Baines is a good player. But um, I think the primary goal of Masai was just to get some... Uh, shorter, maybe more flexible contracts. I think the main priority, he wants to land a player that can put us over the top. I think everyone saw in the playoffs last year, we're a good team, we can get deep, but we miss, we're missing that game changer, right? Losing Gasol and Ibaka, I, I think I think Baines and Boucher, you're gambling a lot on them to, to make up for that, right? So I still think we need another big someone it's it's interesting the kind of moves they did in the draft and around the draft. So we'll see if those players can slot into. We play a lot, a big rotation. So either we're going to shorter or we're going to play some of these guys, right? So I, I don't think Toronto's a a place that signs guys, right? So we gotta mm-hmm. we gotta figure out how to get a guy in like the last year of his contract. If the guy's Giannis, you're gonna have to trade for Giannis. You're gonna have to make up for it. That's a lot of value I have to find. So one of these four guys might have to go with him, right? It might have to be it might have to be someone, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I think the the major goal is just to be flexible, just keep adding talent. If it's Giannis, if it's another guy, right? I think the Lakers 
clearly the best team. They're the team to beat now. You know, they replaced McGee and Howard with Gasol and Harold. And they got uh, Dennis Schrader and Wesley Matthews backcourt now, mm-hmm. right? They, they leveled up somehow. I have no idea how, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about the Raptors, I think the Raptors are now in not a not a rebuilding phase, but a retooling phase, right? And Masai has shown in the past that he can do it. I think that's why Raptors fans trust in him and what he's doing right now. So we'll see if these guys pay off. Do you think they overpaid for Fred? And because Depot wants out of uh, Indiana, right? Oladipo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Trade straight up uh, Siakam for Oladipo. What do, you, what do you think about that? Or Siakam for uh, yeah. Bradley Beal, as you were saying. It's either you give him the money or you're playing against him in the playoffs. He is a good player. Maybe he got a little money for the ring, a little bonus. But uh, we'll see. He has to prove that he's worth that money now, right? And then the second the second thing about the trade for Siakam, Depot, I don't know. The thing about Siakam is you look at him and you're like, you can see the places where he can grow, right? And you're betting on he's actually going to get better in those places. Like, if you see he can get better defensively, you can see he can get better passing out of double teams or passing in general when there's pressure. He, he doesn't like pressure, right? So you see those places he can grow. Can he grow? We'll see. He's still young. If he doesn't, then, of course, the contract itself is not not good enough. He's not good enough for that contract, right? So it's a weird thing, but I think Masai hasn't tied up a lot of money in these long contracts so that he can't move a guy, right? So if a guy like Siakam has to be moved for a guy who's better, Masai's already done that. He traded DeRozan for Kawhi, and he shocked everybody, and everyone said, oh, he snaked DeRozan. And a year later, everyone was like, well, he was right. He orchestrated the mellow trade. He literally took the entire future of the of the New York Knicks because they wanted mellow in the middle of the season instead of for free at the end of the season. I mean, you just the Knicks can't catch a break to save their damn lives. So this is what Masai Ujiri does. He plays these uh, situations smart. So I feel like he's loading up for another one of those situations. I think because um, one of the biggest uh, measuring sticks that Fred Van Lee was going off of for to to get that particular uh, payout or that bag was that he wanted Malcolm Brogdon money on the assumption that I did more than Malcolm Brogdon did, aka got us to a championship, whereas he was able to fetch that based off of his size and specs and what he was able to pull mm-hmm. off. Yeah, I was gonna be um, like Brogdon's like six five two twenty. Yeah, but he was but he was like I've done more than him with less. Right. Right, right, right. And that was his um his pitch in a lot and I think that was the one that was circulating around that he wanted Malcolm Brogdon money. I think he said it on a podcast and that's yeah. essentially what they ended up giving him. Right, right. Well we hope the best for the team in this upcoming season. I'm gonna move on to our last fun topic, which is somewhat of a safety bulletin. If you've ever had to visit a random hood this might resonate with you. I'm gonna paint a picture. You're doing some canvassing for a local election. It's a crisp September evening. We'll set the uh, time of day at dusk and we'll set the tone to aggressive. So as you're canvassing the neighborhood, you notice a shadowy figure following you in the corner of your eye. As you're about to exit the neighborhood, that figure has something to say um, and catches you off guard. So I'm going to turn to H. If you were in a neighborhood that you didn't frequent and a stranger called out to you, said the words, Ayo, let me holla at you. What are your next steps? What would you do in that situation? You keep it moving. Oh, hell no! There's no way. There's no way you're standing around for that. Too many chances. So you're saying flee for the hills? 
No, don't run, but walk mm-hmm. briskly. You only run when you. said walk like, briskly. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it really do be like, though. Don't run. Get your power walk on. Like a, not too fast, you know. Not too, yeah, but no, there's no reason you should be stopping for for anybody. What's funny is if oh, you run, he might run with you. So that that might be a good thing actually. If you run, he might think somebody's yeah. running. You're running yeah, from somebody. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? I'd hadn't thought of that. That's probably true. That's probably true. But usually you don't want to alarm the other person, so you just like walk briskly. But mm-hmm. you don't want to antagonize them. If, if you don't run, you know you're probably leaving that situation without your sneakers. I've I've seen a couple instances where you know a man's sneakers have been taken off his feet for, for that. No. <laughs> yeah. They're not even trying to wear your sneakers. They might just put it up as a trophy on, on, on the telephone wires. You guys know what I'm talking about. So, yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that, that reminds me of a comedy sketch. I think there was a, there was a comedian who was saying um, when he first went and moved to New York, that happened to him. Somebody robbed him for his shoes. So whenever whenever someone gave him a compliment, they asked him, hey, man, nice shoes. His response was, they're your size and what? So he, he just, yeah. he just anticipated this threat from the beginning. He's like, they're, they're exactly your size. Like, you want smoke? Like, let's get it right now. Everybody knows that yeah. one. Exactly. Especially with the person, person's like a lot bigger than you. And, yeah. and you're maybe you make the assumption, yeah, you don't, you don't need my shoes. Like, it's even worse because you know he's either getting it for like, like a little kid or something yeah. like that, which, which just makes it that more insulting. I don't know about you guys. I think everyone from the ends, it's just they're just in tune with like, if someone says, yo, nice shoes, it's on site, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't wait for the next question, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I, I was one time I was in a, a Burger King and a man was, <clears throat> unbeknownst to me, trying to rob me and asked me about like, asked me like a million and one questions about my shoes and said like, oh, I like, I like how they look. And I'm thinking the man is just complimenting my shoes and said, like, what size are they? I told him the size. I told him where I got it from. I told him the fact that I got it on a discount based on a deal. And at the end, he was like, would you, do you want to take them off? And I said, why would I do that? And we got into a fight, like. It's a very, very, very polite way of robbing you, sir. Would you like to take off the yeah. shoes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> run them, run them air forces, bro. Like, yeah, I, 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 I didn't expect that hostility right after I said no, but it only clicked later on. Sometimes, and this is kind of what, what I'm getting at with the nature of question, like, hey, yo, let me holler at you. There's not five more ambiguous yet like scary words strung together. When you're in a like unbeknownst situation, I think genuinely people don't know. Like, hey, yo, let me holler at you. Not many good things have followed that sentence, right? I mean, yeah, um, I think it depends. It depends for me. Like, I'm definitely with H. Like, I would like I walk I walk fast anyways. You know what I mean? In general, when I'm trying to go somewhere, but especially like if I'm in a, somebody's hood and it's like a late hour, like you said, and like that can only go one way. You know what I mean? Because I I don't know what's behind that door. Let me holler at you. It's like no, I don't want to talk to you. Like not not at this no. time, not now, not ever. You know what I mean? So. I always keep the mentality like out of sight, out of mind. Like if I don't see you or acknowledge you, you're not there. So I'm not acknowledging you at all. Do you know what I mean? Like you're not there as far as I'm concerned. Sometimes if I feel like that person is in a place I can't get past, I'll just go back, get in my car or like, you know, come back another day, whatever. Like, you know, it just, I don't, you don't want to open yourself up to a situation where somebody's following you and you don't know what's going to happen from behind you. You know what I mean? That's, that's scary too, right? So spooky hours for sure. May God protect us and our loved ones from a situation like that unfolding. Now I want to move uh, into our main topics. The first is on wave two in Canada. There's no more debate about whether we're in a, we are in a wave two. 
Cases have hit record highs in recent weeks, prompting provinces like Ontario, Quebec, and Manitoba to slap restrictions back in place in a bid to stem the spread. During the peak of the first wave, the new case totals were below 2,000 per day. By comparison, in the last week, Canada has reported on average 2,747 cases per day. However, there is some good news. According to the Global Mail, the second wave has been less lethal and far fewer Canadians are ending up in hospital. Overall, we're sitting at more than 366,000 confirmed cases in Canada with 12,000 deaths. We've experienced these restrictions twice now in Toronto, as previously mentioned. So I just wanted to check in with you guys since you might be experiencing some COVID fatigue by now. I wanted to start with Lerone. Um, Lerone, I wanted to ask you, how do you feel about this lockdown as opposed to the one in early April and how are you keeping yourself safe? Yeah, um, the first lockdown, we really didn't have much information. So like the streets were empty. It felt, it felt very kind of apocalyptic almost. This lockdown, people are kind of, you know, not obeying the restrictions. Um, we all know what's happening with the Adamson barbecue situation. Him refusing to follow provincial orders and close down his, his, his restaurant. Yeah, it's uh same thing pretty much in terms of staying safe, staying in the house, trying to, you know, just isolate as much as possible. Don't make any unnecessary trips. But I think there's a lot less um, fear around the virus now. Well, which is good and bad because, you know, the fear before was healthy. People would stay at home and run less of a risk of contracting the virus and also spreading it. I think uh, just to give a more broad perspective on the second wave, I think this virus, especially the second wave, has revealed like, a, I don't want to call it a lack of empathy, but it shows like how how much people are kind of just, I guess, self-interested. Because you see people, on one hand, you do empathize with small businesses, and people saying, you know, we have to get back to our normal way of life. But on the other hand, it's like, man, people are dying. And I get the school of, the school of thought is, I guess, with some people is that, hey, listen, it's just a small percentage of people who are dying. So we can't stop um, our economy because of this small percentage. But if you're that one person that it affects or your family members, it's not a small percentage. It's a big deal. It's your whole life. For sure. So, yeah. So it's like, exactly. how do we, yeah, how do we balance like social responsibility and economic, our economic, uh, health um as a society so it's it's a tough question but i feel that we really need to be more empathetic and more understanding of each other and and just because it's not just you you're affecting as we all know if you get the virus you could spread it and it strains our healthcare system we put our essential workers at risk yeah it's just it's just a weird time we're living in and we really have to make some tough decisions it goes back to that like age-old question do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few we don't and we don't even fully understand the long-term effects of the virus, but we're outside protesting saying we shouldn't be, mm -hmm. we should just see what happens. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. we don't even fully understand it yet. So it's tough. I, I think uh, small business owners are in a tough spot, uh, but on an individual level, I'm trying to do what I can. It's easier for me because I kind of work from home, but there are people who need to go out and work to make a living. So I understand that too. So I think it's just tough all around. And the best thing we can do is just listen to the experts and try to do what they tell us to do. No, you made a good point. If it affects you personally, then you have an understanding of how grim this virus is. And I think a lot of people take it lightly. And it's understandable. You know, that's human nature. Um, yeah. And that's small usually, business for the majority as well, right? The people are taking it the hardest. Yeah. So, yeah. Fala, if I know you wanted to, to chime in, uh, what are your thoughts about the second wave and where you're at right now? 
the, the second wave is kind of interesting. I, I left just before uh, the second wave, I guess. I will not second wave, the second lockdown went into effect. So um, I think the case numbers were like, at, like at, they, were, they were just, we had, a I think, a time in early October before it got cold where it was like kind of settling in like the 800s and like 800 was wild. But I think towards the mid-November, it started to hit the thousands like regularly every day, right? Which was pretty crazy. And uh, I actually... I'm not in Canada right now. I'm in, I'm in Dominican Republic and their attitude here towards COVID is like much more different than what's back home. Right. So, um, from what I heard, the lockdown started what last, last Saturday. Is that right? In, in uh, Toronto? Uh, November 23rd. So last so, yeah. Monday. Yeah. Last Monday, right? So like mm-hmm. here, um, so I mean, even there when I was, when I was there uh, reading, reading on what was happening, I remember like a big disconnect between like, um, Christine Elliott, Doug Ford and like the actual medical community about them and the suggestions that they had towards them and them. I felt like the Ford government was kind of like just playing it by ear and doing whatever they wanted to do. Like I read some articles about how like uh, they'd gone beyond the threshold of what people thought were acceptable, especially like medical professionals. And they would just be in the brief kind of just, you know, just freestyling it. And I thought that, that was kind of weird and that did contribute to stuff. Uh, but here in the Dominican, it's like really different. Um, you know, they have a, they have a curfew system where it's like on weekdays, the curfews at 9 p.m. And then on weekends at 7 p.m. You know, a mask is, is, I don't want to say a suggestion, but a lot of people put, you're, you have to wear a mask when you enter somewhere. So that's like kind of strictly enforced. Like if you go inside a grocery store or go inside a, you know, a fast food spot or whatever, you have to wear a mask inside. But like outside, not a lot of people are wearing masks. And, you know, I read the Dominican news as well. So it's like they have like 800 cases a day for a population that's 10 million. So it's, it's pretty good. And, uh, it's just a whole different experience from what I was at back home. Do you know what I mean? You're saying. Yeah lockdown um fatigue that's one of the reasons why i left because i just felt like you know what i mean i was just at home every day and just it wasn't anything new for me and uh with 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 two of my friends as well so they're working from home and uh and you know they've they've said that they've been, they've been more productive here than they were back home which is kind of interesting as well so yeah i know uh now as you live in a pretty busy part of the city <clears throat> in normal times it would be bustling around where you live but now i i think similar to many of our our busy parts of the city is quite quiet you're more so working from home these days, trying to stay connected with family as much as you can. But I wanted to check in with you as well. How, how are you? How are you feeling? And how are you responding to the new lockdown measures? Yeah, I mean, like Laurent was saying, I think you know we're a bit more well prepared for environment of a lockdown now. So people are kind of moving out of the inner core of the city or even out of the country, like uh, all up for a bit, just to kind of you know reset and, and get a different change of environment. Well, my biggest thing is, 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 you know, in terms of the vaccine, like with, with Trudeau having nine months now to come up with a plan. And apparently we, we're going to be like second in line to countries like the U.S. and the United Kingdom who actually have, you know what I mean, production plan facilities that they've invested in. And we're going to be pretty much waiting in line after those guys come out with the vaccine to, to, to administer it to our public. So it's just, just kind of an unfortunate situation, you know what I mean, with, with the current situation in the government because as soon as that vaccine is ready we should be ready to kind of like start dispersing it and get people back to normal right so that's kind of my biggest issue with it but aside from that i think things have been you know pretty stable so you're a big gym guy you're still you're driving out to burlington to go to the gym <laughs> man if i had a car i would but yeah my condo gym since march is the biggest thing mm-hmm. and all the good lives are closed as you guys know i used to go to good life so mm-hmm. That's been a bit frustrating, obviously. I've invested in, like, some home equipment, try to kind of stay, stay at least, you know, active, but mm-hmm. frustrating because, you know, you got 
certain stores like that are still able to stay open and you got you know small 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 businesses that are forced to close down their their, their business right so i kind of yeah. feel for the adam guy like i don't personally you know have that same you know, effect of the pandemic but imagine you know spending your last hard-earned dollar on your business and you're being told you got to shut your doors for another 30 days some of these guys can't survive that so i kind of understand mm-hmm. this Shout out to him for raising, I think it was like 200k, you know, on his GoFundMe for lawyer fees. So that bill money's ready. Jeez. Yeah, he has uh, smart, smart messaging, you know, coming up with the argument, right, that businesses aren't being supported, so why should they support lockdown measures? It's not that I agree with what he's doing. I don't agree with this, but it's very compelling the argument he's making because people are desperate. People could lose. The thing he said is people could lose everything, right? And I agreed with that. And then he started going, he had some flat earth energy, you know? <laughs> Don't go, we'll go there, right? What, what did he say? I'm, I'm kind of lost in the situation. I've been trying to read up on it. What did he say that was like wild? He basically was saying, you know, the test, the test, the test for the coronavirus are picking up the flu and other types of viruses and bacteria. So the, the numbers are inflated and they're coming out on purpose. And what I, lo- what I love about this but, situation the most is people who are non-medical professionals talking about yeah. medical stuff like with with the whole cast. <laughs> the man makes like, barbecue. The man makes like, yeah. barbecue. Think to what Why you do, best, brother. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole point. So Yo, I think talking like Martin Luther King. <laughs> it's a sacrificial lamb, right? Somebody had to do it. And he, I bet he, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. guessing for him, there's a tipping point where like he's like, if I do it, like I'll be the guy, and then people yeah, will be behind yeah. me. So I, I'm, I'm. It was he so didn't have that one quarter. The, that karate yeah. chop that police officer's arm. <laughs> he got tackled down. <laughs> I that did first... see that. I did see that. Yeah, I saw that. Well, the first one through the wall is always the one who's bloody, right? So yeah. I think that's the thing. He took he took one for the whole business Maybe. community. Yeah. A lot of people are emboldened by what he did. Yep. Um, so that was the point he was trying to make, right? So <laughs> it worked Fine. effectively, right? So that's facts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whether you agree or not is not the point. It, it worked. What he trying to do so, yeah. Um, yeah. and they paraded him out like he was some revolutionary. Like the cops, like mm-hmm. parading him around to the cop Absolutely. car. You know, Absolutely, mm-hmm. this is crazy, right? That's the crazy thing I find about this. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, I don't um, know for a second if he was black or even brown. Like that would not be the case. They would definitely like have him on the ground, like you know, knee. They would have probably. There was a black guy out there the protesting, and they dragged his ass to jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the guy that karate chops the police officers. I did see that. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so moving on to our last topic. Uh, since our last recording, a change of card was decided on by our neighbors to the south. On November 4th, the Associated Press reported that Biden had secured the 264 electoral votes meaning that he won the presidency over Donald Trump. The Trump campaign has been filing lawsuits left, right, and center in battleground states where the race has been extremely close, but he's been taking L after L, and we don't expect that the outcome will be any different. That doesn't mean that the picture is rosy for Democrats, as the popular vote margins were around 80 million for Biden compared to Trump's roughly 74 million. Democrats controlled 222 House seats and Republicans 210, so they actually lost seats there. And the Senate is still up for grabs based on the two Senate runoffs in Georgia that will take place in January. Many thought that this was supposed to be a rebuke of Trump's presidency. So I wanted to ask you better. 
um, you can kick us off for this discussion. What do you think it says about the states that it was this close? And yeah. how do you feel about a Joe Biden presidency? I, I'll answer the second thing first. Think of, the thing about him winning it was almost necessary, right? Like, yeah. whatever your politics are. Like, put, let me put this in perspective, right? I was, uh, I was talking to my sister. My sister lives in Texas. She was in Austin, Texas. Um, I was talking to her the other day and she was like, oh yeah, you know, we hit our 1 million mark here. And I was like, oh man, oh man, the U.S. is messed up, man. I can't believe you guys are, are there already, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, no, no, not the U.S., Texas. Texas hit 1 million. And I actually had to look it up and I looked it up. They're at 1.24 million cases as of like wow. three days ago, right? Uh, they have like 6,000 new cases a day, something like that. And I was like, wow, whatever your politics are, Yikes. whatever situation, you know, that came, like, however that became possible, it needed to change, right? So Biden winning, hopefully uh, he'll get rid of some of the immediate problems for them, which is like they could be ravaged by a pandemic, you know, to a degree that we haven't, we've never seen, uh, like they, their, their health systems, it, it, people forget about the United States. They're a very rural country too. Right. They have big cities, but most people live in like semi rural areas. Right. And their health systems, their public health systems are not equipped to handle the, uh, a disease like this that spreads very quickly. Right. And it clogs up waiting lines and all that stuff. Right. Plus, you know, there's they don't have public health care like we do. Right. So it's not readily available as well. Right. So um, people people there seem to. OK, so getting to the next point. So if your politics are with Trump, like I said, you know, Whatever the politics that needs to change, if your politics are still with Trump or with Trump, well, fuck your couch, right? <laughs> There's still a lot of people who voted for Trump. And I guess a lot of the problems that they're currently experiencing with the coronavirus is part and parcel of the fact that there could be people that would support a, like, a blatant white supremacist, someone who would literally issue commands to white supremacist groups on a presidential debate, you know? So uh, I think that's something that America. The virus is the biggest problem going on around me right now. And I'm I'm somehow grateful that I'm not dealing with like my leader being white supremacist. My leader does blackface. That's something different, right? <laughs> but uh, I'm just happy mm -hmm. that they have someone different in power. But again, there's there's another side of the, once they get rid of all these, you know, short-term issues, then we mm -hmm. can talk about Biden himself. Biden, Biden is one of the he's he's one of the sources of the most pain in black communities the three strikes the the crime laws that he passed so mm -hmm. i think then people are going to start grappling with that and realize that the united states was still fucked up in 2016 you know mm -hmm. just bringing biden back doesn't really do much it's just status quo right and so mm -hmm. i think a lot of people who are upset with like the establishment you're not really appeasing them by bringing in biden you could make them stronger you know maga could come back trump could run again right so so we'll see what changes. I think that's what people want to see. What does change, right? That's funny because you mentioned that and he's floated the idea of actually kicking off his 2024 campaign during Biden's inauguration. And there's no clear-cut <laughs> leader in the Republican Party. So this man has a empty runway to he do could, so. He could legally run again? Yeah, he can legally yeah. run again. He only served one term. Yeah, you got to do max two terms in your own. I just find yeah. it hilarious that like the whole... The whole the whole debacle of how he's handled COVID, like somewhere along his presidency, the bar has become so low. Like the bar is literally in hell. Like the bar is so low for him to do anything even remotely like 
becoming of a president that we're not shocked that he's disputing while he's still in office, like that he's disputing the results of the election, that he botched the way he handled the COVID. Can you imagine if this happened to like Obama? He'd be getting roasted, like cooked, you know what I mean? So I just no, find that so done. crazy. He'd be done. Yeah. He'd be done. Like, they have militias camp- like camping outside governor's offices and, yeah. and, and like trying to kidnap governors. This is crazy. They have bigger issues than COVID. Was anybody disappointed to see one of our, our childhood staples, Lil Wayne, pose beside Donald Trump? I think Lil Wayne is really a Martian. He doesn't know what's going on. He's trying to get that pardon, man. I think he's really a Martian, man. I, you know, he said he made an album called I'm Not From This Planet. I, I, th- I don't even think he's human anymore, man. He's gone. Pusha T, he tweeted, Wayne's complaining about Biden's tax plan, but had no issue when Birdman was jerking him for 30 years. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and then the caption, the caption, the caption for that, somebody screenshot a caption for that, and somebody said, Pusha T didn't have to drag Lil Wayne by his last three dreads like this. Oh, my oh goodness. My God. <laughs> no. Yo, Push was gonna He's 10% codeine, bro. 10% cough syrup. <laughs> he, he might be 50% codeine. I'd be disappointed yeah. if I didn't expect it, you know? I'd be disappointed if I didn't expect there you go. it. There oh, you so you actually, you did expect it. Yeah, they asked him in an interview years ago after, I think, the Michael Brown shooting or one, one of these uh, yeah. police killings, they asked him, like, his opinion, and he was like, I oh, don't I care about him. anything that has nothing to yeah. do about, with me or something like yeah. that. But he was pretty yeah. much saying, like, you know, some police officer helped him when he was a kid and he shot himself, so... He doesn't believe racism exists and, you know, all these things. I expected it. I was just going to ask you about more your thoughts more broadly on on how the election went. Yeah, yeah, I, I did want to touch on that for sure. Um, I think uh, in the election, I think what needed to happen happened because the road we were going down in terms of, like, just the rhetoric in politics and not being able to tell true from false you know, just having a leader that just says anything, that's dangerous just in terms of information. Like, we've always had we always had to play the political game and see, um, you know, choose between two bad options. That's always been a thing. Uh, no, no option is perfect. No democracy is perfect. But at least we can get back to some sem- semblance of, like, normalcy. You know, meaningful political discussions, right? But I think the black, like, the black vote in the U.S., like, we've never been at a point where people have spoken this openly and this honestly before we've never had like people have talked about reparations before but we've never been at a point where this was a legitimate conversation and politicians have had to like answer questions about reparations in a meaningful thoughtful ways before it was always like just dismissed like uh you know but now they've had to answer questions about that i think i think uh we're getting closer to a point of like a, at least a, like a reckoning or some type of like moment of truth where America has to like account for their original sin in terms of slavery. Because I don't think black people are having it anymore, to be honest with you, just based on what the energy I'm seeing. And like, if you look at the black vote really decided the election in these major cities, these major swing states, mm-hmm. it was the black vote that decided the election. And I think this was like the Democratic Party's last chance to do something, like materially do something for black people, because they're looking at Biden right now after everything he's done. They're like, okay, you know what? We're going to disregard your record. We're going to just close our eyes and vote for you because the alternative is horrible. Kamala, also, you have a very questionable record as a district attorney and in criminal justice, which has been been one of them. 
Yeah, that's one of the main issues affecting our community. So yeah. a lot of people are looking and saying, yo, this is this is your last chance because Trump was off, at least Trump was offering some type of platinum plan. However, you feel about it, if it's bogus or whatever, at least he was saying something very specific for black people, not any of this vague language saying yeah. people of color or minorities saying, listen, black people, you have been harmed. Your community deserves something to repair the harm that has been yeah. done. So, and, the, and the alternative is what he said before. Remember, I don't know if you guys remember uh, the clip. I think Meek Mill even used it in a song when he said, like, black people, what have you got to lose? Yeah. Do, do, do right. you guys remember that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these things, like, and the thing is, black people are mostly from, I think, based on the data, evangelical anyway. And that falls in line with the conservative party. So what happens when we get the next iteration of Trump, where he's like Trump 2.0 yeah. with less of the defects? not any more of the, you know, the scandals. And he's someone who's actually thoughtful, but has the same ideology and able to galvanize people in the same type of way. And is saying something specifically for black people. Democrats need to do something for black people. And I know there's more to it. You know, they have to vote in the election coming up in January to ensure that at least there's a majority in the Senate and they're able to pass laws. But the black people are looking at Democrats right now in terms of like, what are you going to do for us? Because we've had enough. That's the, that's what I'm seeing. So I think the, the, this election, that's what that I kind of took away from it. The fact that there are a lot of um, competing interests in the country and there's been, it's been polarized for far too long. And that's kind of coming to a head a little bit in terms of people having honest discussions. And the internet is kind of exacerbating that in terms of giving people a platform to really just air their opinions out unfiltered. So before we had this like rosy view of like, you know, Western democracy and like, you know, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you do what you have to do, you'll make it, the American dream. People are slowly beginning to unpeel and, and to, you know, look at that with a critical lens. And I think that's gonna, that's bringing up some very useful conversations, some very meaningful conversations, but also some conversations that will lead to some decisions that have to be made in terms of how do you treat black? How do you treat your black population? You know, how do you respond to the shifting demographics in your country? You know, it's a it's a lot of different things uh, at play. I think the conversations are happening, which is good. But what I left with after seeing the results of the election is that if 70 million people are still voting for Donald Trump, then that shows a very polarized country. So there's there's a need for for healing and productive discussion. And I don't know if we're seeing that right now. I hope Biden and Kamala can make that happen. Agreed. You made some very insightful points. I think it's one of those things where we'll we'll have to see how it plays out. His his uh, support base is still there in terms of Trump, and if he chooses to run again, he might find success. You know, in terms of the vote totals that I saw, it really made me think once I saw how the election unfolded about whether or not this guy would lose if we weren't in a pandemic. Because for me, what I think a lot of people were struggling with or, or had issue with was the economic instability. And I think voters during economically sound times or, or better economic times are more comfortable with staying with the status quo. So I think that hurt him a bit. It didn't seem like his rhetoric because if it was based on his rhetoric or the way that he carried himself, I would think that there would be a big rebuke of him, which we did not see happening. And I think, Lerone, you touched on it. The Democrats are going to have to find a way to make sure that they're having people come out to vote 
for their ideas and their policies um, as opposed to voting against someone um, right. like Donald right. Trump and then resting on resting on that kind of lazy political tactic that that's used sometimes where you yeah, just say, sure. uh, well, I'm better than the, your alternative. And I think, like you said, the, the black community is starting to wisen up in the States in terms of what they receive for their votes. And this is one of those instances where I think they're 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 making the Democrats kind of you know, pay attention um, and, and they're letting them know that they're watching closely. And you see the efforts that are happening in Georgia to help turn the Senate. Um, and Stacey Abrams has been very, very kind of influential in, in how Georgia has played out. So they, they've been given a check, but, you know, that check can bounce, I think, um, dissimilar to years of the past where they would just give them a blank check. Now it's, it's about holding them accountable. Well, I think that's one of the reasons why you see Trump being so stubborn is there mm -hmm. are still Senate races still going on, right? So mm -hmm. it, it does help voter turnout. It does help people still kind of stick up for him when he's trying to do and all that. Yeah, um, they got a so, Trump-like option. Yeah. yeah, yeah. if they lose the Senate, then they lose control over uh, how they make things defensible, right? So mm -hmm. uh, a, a Democrat president and a Democrat Senate, they can get a lot more done, right? And I think some of the things that Biden has said that's positive, you know, like changing, changing the economy from an oil-based economy to something based on renewable and renewables and the amount of jobs that might create and it's kind of like our generation's new deal, right? Um, see that already happening in a lot of European countries and the amount of jobs it's created. It's a, it's like objective, right? It's tangible. You can measure how much it does, right? So I think there's a lot of positive things to happen, but if you are building on a foundation of racism and uh, disenfranchisement and, you know, creating barriers for black people, then we're like black people in the United States aren't going to benefit from any of that. Right. And that's the big problem. And I think that's the major thing that people have to start uh, recognizing is there needs to be space for that realization of that. Yeah. All good points. But man, we're going to have to end it there today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your perspectives. For our listeners, thank you for tuning into today's episode. And thank you for the overwhelming support since we started the journey. We would also love your feedback for how we can make this a better listening experience as we kick off season two. Please leave your comments on our page at the Say Word Podcast on Instagram. And if you have suggestions for topics in the future, please feel free to send us a DM. As always, we hope you found this insightful. We hope it made you think. And we look forward to having you and our host, Ahmed, join us for our next episode. If you enjoyed what you heard on today's episode of Say Word, please comment, share, and subscribe on social media or at the podcast platform that you use to listen to us. Three simple steps for support go a long way. Enjoy the rest of your day and be safe, everyone. Mm -hmm.